We're going to open the scriptures together now. And if you've been reading along with our daily Bible reading, we're doing Bible in two years. And if you've been following along with that over the last week, you would have been reading uh, from two Chronicles, from chapter one through to chapter uh, eight or nine. Or if you're on to today's reading already, you'll be on chapter 10 and 11. And so today I just want us to hang out a little bit in, in two Chronicles chapter three. We're going to unpack just something that's going on there and, and hopefully just allow God to, to take these ancient words um, and speak them afresh to us today and bring life to us and, and to meet with us in, in this way. So if you've got your Bible, uh, you might want to open it there. If you haven't got it, you might want to just press pause and go and grab your Bible and then find two Chronicles chapter three. Uh, and I'm just going to pray and then we're going to jump in. So, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that you have made this day. Lord, you have made this day and you've placed us in it and you've placed everything in it. And, and you want to meet with us in this day, in this moment, at this time. And we thank you, Lord, for the gift of your word, for the scriptures. We thank you, Father, that, that you reveal yourself through them and that it is your living word Lord God that is alive and it speaks even today and we pray by your spirit now that your word would speak to us that we might discover you in it that we might be led by you in it that we might uh, hear you speak through it we ask this in the power of the name of Jesus amen okay uh, so hopefully you've got two chronicles uh, chapter three open in front of you um, I'm just going to read two chronicles chapter three verse one just verse one that's that's all we're reading today it's going to hang out there okay so here we go um then solomon began to build the temple of the lord in jerusalem on mount moriah where the lord had appeared to his father david it was on the threshing floor of aruna the jebusite the place provided by david great that's the scripture we're hanging out in today so nice and simple not too difficult we've got that one What's going on there? Solomon's going to build a temple uh, in Jerusalem on this mount called Mount Moriah, uh, the place that his father had bought from this Jebusite, this this foreigner, and David had bought it, and and Solomon was now going to build the temple of God there. So he's going to build this temple. Let's just talk about temple for a moment, okay? We're not going to get too deep into it, but essentially the temple was this building at this place where God's very presence, where his spirit was going to dwell. And not only that, it was a place where people would come to meet with him and they would discover him. They would discover hope. They would find forgiveness from their sins, healing from their sicknesses. They, they would find freedom and they would find victory in him there. And, and if you don't believe me that that's what the temple was about, you can flick forward to 2 Chronicles chapter 6. And when, De and when Solomon has finished building the temple, he prays this epic prayer of dedication over it. And that's what he prays. He prays, Lord, may your eyes ever be on this temple. And, and when your people, uh, when they get it wrong, when they mess up, when they fail, when they sin, may they come here and find your forgiveness. When they are ill and plague strikes them, may they come here and find your healing. When they are taken captive and the victory has been had over them, may they look towards your temple from wherever they are and may they find your victory may they find hope in you and freedom from their captors incredible prayer it goes on to say other things but essentially that is what the temple was about it was about meeting with God and discovering all that he has for us and giving us all giving him all that we are and we have it says in in the word of the Lord it says 
that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that is what the temple is about, where the spirit hung out and people could meet with him and discover freedom. And so that's what's going on here. Solomon is building that place. Um, but but I want to just track forward a little bit now because we don't have that temple. So we have our church building. There are other church buildings and lots of things. But we don't have that temple, that one place that, that we all go to. And, and so where where is that now? What is going on? Where is the place of freedom and hope and forgiveness? And, and the Bible actually says this. It says that you are now the temple of the spirit. If you believe in Jesus, his spirit lives in you. In Joel chapter two, uh, the scriptures say this. They say that his spirit has been poured out on all flesh, old and young, men and women, slave and free, everybody now. The spirit of God has been poured out and we can all receive his spirit. In Ephesians chapter two, it says that you are being built into the temple of the spirit. You're going to be part of it. You're going to carry some of that, some of that presence with you. Uh, and, And that is incredible, isn't it? Because that means that you can always know forgiveness. You can always know freedom. You can always know hope and healing and blessing and the presence of God with you. And not only you, but everyone you encounter, you literally, you are walking temple. Everyone you encounter should be able to discover the peace of God, the joy, the hope, the freedom, the forgiveness that comes with wherever the spirit of the Lord is. That is incredible. I want to ask this question then. How do we build our lives? What can we learn from this? Just this one verse. What can we learn from this verse about how to build our lives in a way that allows us to be the temple? How do we build ourselves as a temple that carries the spirit of God? How do we know hope and joy and love and peace and freedom uh, in our lives, the fruit of the spirit? How do we know those things by uh, creating our lives as a place that the spirit will dwell in us? So just two points to put out. And point one I want to say is this, to build your life into the temple of the spirit of God. If you're serious about that, if you really want the spirit of God, not just to be with you, but to dwell in you and to produce fruit in you, uh, then it is costly. It is costly. And that is point one, to build your life. It is costly. This verse starts with the word then. And the word then means that what is coming next is, is intrinsically linked to what has been before what has just happened is now allowing what is coming to happen so then solomon began to build the temple well what came before and if you read chapter two what comes before is this negotiation this trade where solomon buys all the things and the labor that he needs to build the temple it is costly solomon invests heavily into getting the 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 resources uh, and and the work force to build this temple he pays someone else for it and gets that stuff and gets it delivered it cost him to build the temple of the lord something else uh, that is costly uh, that happened on mount moriah before is the story of abraham and offering his son isaac and you can find that story back in genesis 22 but essentially what happens there is god says abraham do you trust me do you really put your faith in me then I want you to take your son, your only son whom you love, 
and I want you to take him to a, a mountain in the region of Moriah that I will show you. I want, I want you to take him to, to this mountain in Moriah that I will show you. And there I want you to offer him to me as a sacrifice. And, and so Abraham takes Isaac, his son, to offer him there as a sacrifice, to demonstrate his faith in God. He trusts God. God said, I'm going to give you a son. Even though you're old, you're going to have a son and that son is going to go on to have sons and you're going to be the father of a nation that's too numerous to count. And then God says, offer your son. It's like, hang on a minute, you're taking that son away from me? And this question of, do, do you trust God? Even when it doesn't look like you think it's going to look, even when you get asked to go somewhere and do something that you don't think is how it should have looked in your mind, do you really trust that God is God? That his ways are higher than your ways, his thoughts are higher than your thoughts, that he really is sovereign, that he really is good, that he really means his promises, that he really is in control. Do you trust him and are you willing to lay everything down, as, however costly that is? And so he does that. Uh, that's another story of cost. And we'll come back to that in a bit because it doesn't end there. Uh, but um, there's more. There's more cost that happens. You see, David, um, he has this encounter on Mount Moriah just before Solomon is building the temple there. Earlier on, he has this encounter. Uh, and the, the 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 site on which the temple is built originally was a, a threshing floor. And we're going to come to that in a bit and unpack a little bit about what that is. But it's owned by a Jebusite. And, and they were a foreign people um, and they lived in Jerusalem before uh, the Israelites moved in. And, and some of the Jebusites still lived there. And, and, and David went up to this guy and, and he, he wanted to buy this land. And the Jebusite, you can find it in 2 Samuel. Maybe let's just flick there. 2 Samuel uh, chapter 24. So you just go back in your Bible a little bit before uh, 1 Chronicles, before Kings. And you get to 2 Samuel if you go backwards. So 2 Samuel chapter 24, and I'm just going to look at verse 24 in a moment, but um, David wants to buy this site and, and the Jebusite says, no, 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 you're the king. You can have this. My Lord, the king, you, you have it. And David turns around and, and he says this to the Jebusite in verse 24 of chapter 24 of 2 Samuel. But the king replied to Aruna, no, I insist on paying for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. I will not sacrifice that which cost me nothing. Like the Lord my God is worth more than that. I'm gonna, I want to invest in this. I want to pay for this. I want to give towards this. It needs to cost me something because this is how much God really means to me. I will not give him that which cost me nothing. And so as we start to track the story uh, of Mount Moriah and, and where the temple was built, we discover this thing about building temples on Mount Moriah. We discover that there is a story of cost. There is a story of laying down. There is a story of trust. There is a story of giving all that we have into something if we really want that place to be the place where we meet with God. David builds an altar on that site eventually, and that is a place where God is met with. It costs in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 14 as well, uh, you, you'll read uh, that um, Jesus says that, that if you want to be my disciples, then it's going to cost you. There's a cost to being with me, learning from me and becoming like me. That's what it means to be his disciple. That's our vision as a church, to be with Jesus, to learn from him and become like him. And the crucial part of that is to be with him, to know his presence. And Jesus says this, if you want to be my disciples, 
then you must lay down your own lives and take up your cross. You must sacrifice all that you want. Lay it down. Leave it at the foot of the cross. Trust me with it. And you must take up your own cross. You must die to self. You must die to self. I was speaking to my mentor recently and I've been working on some discipleship stuff that I'm really excited about that we're going to get to soon as a church. And I said to him, how would you describe discipleship? And he literally came to this verse. He said, simple, Matt, discipleship, simple. Deny yourself and take up your cross. Basically meaning every day some of me needs to die so that more of Jesus can live in me. More of Jesus can live in me. And Paul writes, doesn't he? It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. If we really want to be followers of Jesus, if we really want to be his disciples, if we really want to know his presence in us, his spirit in us, his living word, speaking life to us and that flowing through us and changing the world around us, then it will cost us something. It will cost us something. But here's the amazing thing about all of that. You see, that place of costly sacrifice and trust becomes the place of provision and presence. For Abraham in Genesis 22, it's a costly thing that he's been asked to do and he has to trust in God. But when he gets there and he's about to offer Isaac, his only son who he loves, as a sacrifice to the Lord, the angel of the Lord shows up, the presence of God shows up and says, Abraham, stop. Don't do that. I know that you trust me. I'm going to provide for you instead. And the presence of God is there and he provides a ram to sacrifice instead of Isaac. And Isaac lives. Isaac lives. The place of costly sacrifice and trust becomes the place of presence and provision. Again, for Solomon, as he's as he's building here uh, the temple, we see that he invests and it costs him. But then, hey, if you flick forward to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, I I love this. He finishes building it. He he prays this prayer of dedication. And then 2 Chronicles chapter 7 begins like this from verse 1. It says, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple they knelt down on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord saying he is good his love endures forever you see when God saw the temple and he heard the cry and prayer of Solomon that said this is what I want this temple to be a place where you'll meet with your people a place where when they have sinned they can come to you and find your forgiveness a place where when they are sick and ill they can come to you and find your healing a place where when they have been carried off as captives they can look to and call out to you and they will find your victory um I want it to be a place where you meet with your people, where your presence is and where you provide for them. God, I want them to know you. And and God just hears that prayer and he's like, and fire falls down. The presence of of the Lord fills the temple, the glory of the Lord, because God's like, yes, I'm all over that. I want my people to know me and I want to provide for them. I want to be their father, their good father that says, when they call out to me for my spirit, I am there. I am with them and I will meet with them. See, the place of cost and trust, costly sacrifice and trust becomes the place of presence and provision. How incredible is that? You see, God wants to provide for you. God wants to. Jesus says, hey, if you who are evil 
know how to give your children good gifts? How much more will your Father in heaven give you the gift of the Holy Spirit if you ask? He wants to give good gifts. He wants you to know him and be with him and meet with him. He wants that. Will we, do we want that? Do we want to press in? Do we want to give our all? Do we want to pay the price, the costly price? Do we want to give him our trust? Because he is just waiting for us to knock. He is just waiting for us to ask. He is just waiting for us to push that door and see that it will open. So that's point one. Building the temple of the Lord is costly, but man, is it worth it. The place of costly sacrifice and trust becomes the place of presence and promise. God will show up if you choose to walk in step with his spirit. If you choose uh, to lay down this life and trust in him, he will meet with you. Point two then. Um, Point two is is foreigners and failure. Let me unpack that for you. Um, So let's just jump back to the the story of 2 Samuel chapter 24. um, Because in verse 1 of chapter 3, we realise that this place that that Solomon is building the temple uh, belonged to a Jebusite. And it was it, it was owned by a foreigner. Um, and let's just go back and, and discover what's going on there. If you read through uh, 2 Samuel 24, what you discover is this, is that David, he messed up big time. Uh, he failed. He sinned. He put his trust in himself as king and his might and his own honour and didn't put his trust in the Lord. Um, and, and that's sin. To put something, whether it's yourself or someone else, higher than God and put your trust in that rather than in God. To let something else be your master, your God, your king, uh, your Lord, rather than Jesus. That is, is sin. And he did that. And and that sin led to judgment in the story. And, and that basically just means this, because this is true. All of our sins, all of our actions, all of the things that we do uh, have a consequence. If I do something, then it has an impact. If I'm horrible to someone, then they feel hurt. And not only that, maybe that causes them to be horrible to me or someone else. If you know, There's all kinds of things that happen when we sin, when we do wrong and we fail, whatever our actions, good or bad, it has a consequence. And the consequence of David's sin, when he put his trust in himself, not in God, was that he, he then put the hope of the people in himself, not in God. And, and the people got ill. There was plague and there was judgment upon the people because they weren't really being protected by God anymore. But David was, oh, well, I'm in charge here. And, and so there was a consequence. But here's the key. Here's the key thing that happens in, in that chapter. The consequence is that the judgment actually led David to repentance. And he turned back to God and builds this altar to God. And, and, and everything is turned around in that moment. And the place that he builds the altar is on this threshing floor that belongs to the Jebusite, to this foreigner. And you might be thinking, well, why is that important? And I want to unpack for you just really briefly about the threshing floor. Maybe you've heard that term used before. Maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe you're not. Um, but a, a threshing floor is essentially this um, big, round, flat patch of land, sometimes inside a building, sometimes outside. But this big, round, flat patch of land where they would put the harvest and then they would have animals trample over it, crushing it, uh, or people beating it with sticks to, to, to crush it, to break it up. 
and then they would get a, a winnowing fork and they would throw it up into the air um, and the wind, the idea is the wind would blow away the kind of chaff, the dusty bit, the kind of stuff that was left that they didn't want and not the heavier stuff, the weightier stuff, the more significant stuff that they wanted from the harvest would fall back down and then they could separate the wheat and the chaff. So the wheat would land back down, they'd collect it up, take it into the, into the storehouses and do what they did with it and the chaff would be blown away or collected up and burned. And so that's what the threshing floor was all about. Now, the threshing floor comes up again and again in the scriptures, and there are so many places where you'll find it. But, but just a few places where you'll find uh, imagery linking to the threshing floor. One we've looked at recently is Psalm chapter one. And in that psalm, it's talking about those who delight in the Lord and what happens then. They're like a tree that's planted and rooted. But then it goes on in verse four. It says, not so with the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Uh, what we see there is this image of threshing floor being used to depict to us a scene of judgment where there's separation. You know, this stuff is crushed, it's thrown up, and the stuff that is weighty and significant, that has purpose, it lands back down and is used, and the wind blows the rest away. Uh, again, uh, in, in Malachi, uh, you'll, you'll read there uh, this language. So towards the end of chapter three into chapter four, Malachi writes this. He says, and you uh, will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day uh, that is coming will set them on fire it goes on but again the idea of stubble is the idea of chaff this stuff that's going to be blown away the stuff that's left over that isn't wanted from the threshing floor uh, and John the Baptist carries on that imagery when we get to Matthew chapter 3 in the New Testament in verse 12 John the Baptist talking about Jesus he says this his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So we get this imagery that the threshing floor is this place of judgment. It's the place of separation where we get rid of what is not needed and the weighty stuff, the good stuff, what is needed, it falls back down and is collected in. In the story of 2 Samuel 24, we read about how David has done some stuff wrong. There's a situation there and and God just he needs to deal with this. So there's judgment. There's this, this situation that looks really bad. Uh, it's a bit like the harvest put on the threshing floor and being put under pressure. The animals cr uh, stamping on it and crushing it and breaking it all up. But then it all gets thrown up in the air. David's whole situation is thrown up in the air and the wind blows off the chaff. And what is good, what is solid, what is weighty, what has significance, it settles back down. And in David's situation where everything is thrown up into the air, what comes back down and what lands it is a man with a repentant heart who just longs for the way of God in his life. Sometimes judgment is what we need. Those situations, we think of judgment, we think, oh no, this is really bad. But judgment is good. The, the, the threshing floor is good because it separates out the stuff in our lives that we don't want. And it leaves us with the good stuff, the stuff that is needed, the stuff that God wants to collect in and says, yes, yes to that. I can do something with that. And I don't know about you, but I want that. I want to chase after Jesus with all my heart. I want him to, to step on, even though it will be painful at times and costly. I want him to step on the things in my life that are not good. I want him to crack them and separate them from me. And then I want him to throw it up in the air and the wind to blow that stuff off so that when 
when I settle back down, I might be a man after God's own heart. I might be someone who God can work with. His spirit will dwell in that. I'll be more like the image of Jesus. You see, we need the threshing floor at times. We need that. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's great, Matt, but why are you sharing all this with us? What's this got to do with the temple? What's this got to do with my life? And and as I was reading this and praying over this verse, I, I just really felt that for some Uh, There may be areas in your life that you just feel are messy and have been thrown up in the air and and it just kind of doesn't feel good right now. It's unsettling and you don't really know where you're at with it. And, and, And maybe even further than that, maybe that area in your life, for you, it feels like it is owned by a foreigner. Maybe you feel like there's a different side of you, a different version of you that you don't connect with very well. And that part of my life, it, it seems to be owned by that. What is going on? Maybe even not just that, maybe you feel like the enemy has got a hold over a part of your life and just won't let go of it. And, and I want to say this to you because I've been there I have those areas of my life too where things have been thrown up in the air and it feels messy and and often what we do when we have that is we want to hide that from God we're like I can't build the temple of the Lord on that I can't invite God's spirit into that because it is messy and and it's not good and I I just that is not holy and God's going to look at me badly with that and and I want to say this to you I want to say this to you you see that very sight where David screwed up and judgment came and everything got thrown up into the air. That site that was owned by a foreigner, actually, that was the very site that God said, build my temple. Because I want to pour out my spirit upon that site. I want to meet with you in that place. I want to deal with your sin. I want to separate that stuff. I want to bring the good out of you and move the bad away. I want to make you more and more into the image of my own son. That very place is the place I want to meet with you. Do not think you cannot build the temple there. You see, the the place of the foreigner and the place of failure actually becomes the place of family and the place of forgiveness. The place where God becomes our father and we meet with him and where our sin is dealt with and removed and evil is taken away and we find hope and freedom and life and joy and peace. Whatever that area of your life is that you worry about inviting God into, I want to say to you today, God wants to be invited into that. God wants you to build the temple on that area because he wants to pour out his spirit there. He wants to throw that stuff up and he wants to pull the good out of you and make you more and more like Jesus. He wants to pour his spirit into you. Let me just wrap up then by saying this. Those two points. Point one was this, you know, It's costly to build the temple. But are you willing to give everything for Jesus? Are you willing to throw your whole life down at the foot of the cross? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice is what Romans 12 says. But it goes on to say that when you do that, God moves. When you do that, he will come and be in your life. He will renew your mind. He will set you free. He will bring hope. He will pour out his spirit if you just surrender to him. Are you willing to do that? And point two, there is nothing in your life that will stop God from meeting with you. Romans 8 verses 38 and 39, Paul says, hey, I'm convinced of this. There's nothing, nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing you've done or will ever do. Nothing in the heavens above or the earth below. No power, nothing at all that can separate you from the love of God. There is nowhere that God does not want you to invite his spirit into. Do not feel shame. Do not feel guilt. Do not hide from the Lord. 
because when we bring those things into his light, the Bible says, when we bring things into his light, they become light. He doesn't shine his light on it and go, look how bad you are. His light penetrates it and brings it into himself. It turns it into good, turns it into light. He redeems, he restores, he sets free. That is who he is. That is what it means to build our lives into his temple. You can invite him into every area of your life.